Markets expressed some genuine fear and wild trading last week. Huge coordinated global moves, the likes of which we haven't seen since March and April. Maybe an emphasis on March here, as we'll see. Recession fear, well, that's where it begins, but that's not the extent of it. It can't explain the massive amounts of hedgings that showed up last week. First, we'll talk about what happened because there's quite a lot to get through, and then we'll go over some reasons why. The simple explanation is, yes, recession, lower rates, but what does lower rates in the future actually mean? There's a variety of scenarios to talk about here, and the market seems to be zeroing in on some of them. As I said, recession fear, that's the easy one. And we can see that most plainly in crude oil. Crude oil continues to defy OPEC production cuts. They just voted and, or they just announced that they're going to cut production even further. Yet, oil prices don't seem to care all that much. As I'm speaking to you right now, WTI crude in the United States, $73.61. That's the January 24 contract. More importantly, though, the curve shape. Despite the restrictions in global supply, taking more oil off the market, which you would think would be more supply positive, therefore the oil futures curve should be more backward dated. It is as heavily into contango as we've seen yet in recent weeks and recent months. The one month calendar spread, that's the January 24 to February 24, that's 20 cents into contango saying the markets doesn't believe that the supply cuts are going to rebalance the, the current marketplace in the near-term future. But the WTI curve is actually it can tango further down. Right now, it's all the way out straight contango to May 24, May 2024, where the price there is 74.12. So you're talking more than 40 cents into contango out to May. Market doesn't believe that these supply cuts are going to be enough to rebalance the oil market given what must be taking place in demand. So the oil market right away, oil prices and the oil futures curve, that's telling us, yeah, something's going on as far as weak demand, therefore something like recession. But we also have to keep in mind, especially as we go forward here into the other financial um, indications, oil prices aren't strictly about oil supply and oil demand. You also have to consider liquidity, funding costs, financial considerations too, on top of strictly demand in this case. So keep that in mind as we move forward. The biggest moves were in the forward rate markets. And we'll start with SOFR, term SOFR, even though I dislike the contract. We have to note what's going on in that marketplace because on Friday in particular, we saw extreme moves like we haven't seen apart from the most volatile of circumstances. The December 2024 contract, which is right where most of the market is centering its hedging activity. And that's not just SOFR, as we'll see, it's also Uriber futures. The December 24 contract on Friday, that one surged by 22 basis points. And it's up another few basis points this morning as I'm talking to you. So essentially, you have a huge move in SOFR futures. That's on top of buying that's been going on throughout November. There was a bigger move back in November 14th, 27 basis points. But Friday, there didn't seem to be a obvious, there didn't seem to be an obvious catalyst for that level of that level of a move, that level of buying interest in hedging. Jay Powell made some comments that sounded dovish. Federal speakers have been sounding increasingly dovish, but we've known that. It's this this level of hedging isn't about the Federal Reserve gently cutting rates for a soft landing. This is something more aggressive. And you can see that in the comparisons. 
as I've mentioned previously, though it's been some so many months now, because now we're getting back into where we were in May, in uh, back in May and before. Essentially, you don't see twenty basis point swings in derivative forward rate contracts like term SOFR or Euriber. Again, as we'll see in just a minute. These, these types of moves cluster around some of the worst circumstances of the last couple of years. March and April, big ones. I go back to April 25th. That's the last time you saw a big one, 25 and a half basis points before November. So we're seeing the big swings cluster in November like they, like they had clustered in March and April. Of course, March 10th, he had a 27 and a half basis point swing. And March 17th, the big one. In this particular contract, the December 24th, uh, SOFR contract, he had a 33 basis point move back then. September of 2022, you also see a 29 basis point increase in the same December 2024 contract. We also had some big moves in other contracts. It seemed to be zeroed in on December 2024, but we also had a big move in the March 25. That was almost 20 basis points. And again, it's up a couple basis points today. The June 25 contract, that was up 17 and a half basis points. So right around December of 2024, there was heavy interest in hedging against some, some scenarios that would have interest rates going decidedly lower from where they are today. Again, we're right back to where we were in March and April. And you can see that in the term SOFR spreads. The December 23 to December 24 contract spread, the calendar spread there, it's 65 basis points inverted. That's rather heavily inverted, though it's more inverted, a lot more inverted, the further down the curve you go. December 23 to December 24, that's 137 basis points inverted. Again, extreme inversion. December 23 to June 25, 182 basis points inverted. And more importantly than that, along with these huge moves on Friday and throughout last week, we saw major expansion and inversion over the last couple of weeks. It's really piled on here as the markets become more and more fearful that something is happening here. Again, we'll get to that, what, what that might be or the possibilities there. Term SOFR, that's one thing, US dollars. You think, well, Fed, Jay Powell, uh, dovish, dovish FOMC members like Christopher Waller, the former hawk who's sounding dovish. But this is not just about the Fed, the US, or even just US dollar. This is Euro dollar. In the bigger moves in forward rate markets last week and even recently, those have been in Europe, Euro-denominated. Essentially, again, the Euro-dollar system is a global banking system, and it's under, under, underlying all of these things, SOFR as well as Euriber. There really isn't a difference here because it's a global bank-centered system. If there's trouble in one part of it, it's likely to spill over into the rest of it because the banks that operate in Europe, for example, that are heavily exposed to Euro-denominated issues, if they're having problems to the degree that they're hedging like this, they're going to be having problems in other parts of their business and other parts of the world. And they're going to express that in several ways. As we've talked about in recent videos, hoarding liquidity, de-risking portfolios. And here we see the third lesson of Bear Stearns, massive amounts of hedging. As impressive as the hedging was in SOFR futures, it was doubly impressive. And I don't say that lightly, doubly impressive in Euriber futures. The numbers are just insane here. The December 24 contract in Euriber futures, the term Euriber futures, similar to term sulfur futures, roughly the equivalent here. 
The December 24, again, that part of the calendar seems to be where the global fear and angst was really zeroed in on, December 24. The December 24 Uriber futures contract was up 22 basis points on Friday, and it's up another three and a half basis points today. There is nothing comparable in Uriber futures to Friday's move, except when you get to the worst parts of March. You got to go back to March 17 when you had a 21 basis point move or March 10th when you had a 19 basis point move in December 2020, December 2024, Uriber. You also saw a similar degree move on October 3rd, 2022. That was amidst the massive collateral shortage, even collateral run, that had banks around the world running to the Swiss National Bank dollar auctions. That's the last time we saw hedging to this degree in this particular contract. We've seen similar moves on this part of the curve in earlier contracts when the curve was shifted forward in time. But essentially, like I said before, we are right back to where we were in March and April. Not in the U.S., not in Europe, everywhere. In some respects, though, what you see in Europe is that we're beyond March and April to an, ex to an extreme extent. The spreads, again, the spreads are what really stand out here. Not only do you have big moves on Friday, those really, the really uh, blew out the inversion spreads. The December 23 to June 24 contract, so the nearest six months here, that one jumped to 67 basis points inverted. Again, these are term Uriber futures. That's way beyond any of uh, the, the, the maximum inversion that we saw back in May. May 11th, we saw uh, the spread had gotten to 55 basis points inverted. The December 23 to December 24 Uriber spread, 131 and a half basis points. And as you can see here, the move is just absolutely extreme, even more extreme than the move we've seen in SOFR futures. The previous widest inversion in this particular spread was just 96 basis points on May 11th. Here we are at 131 and a half. So as much as there seems to be fear in SOFR futures, there is a lot more and a lot more immediate fear over in Europe. So European banks, part of the Euro dollar system. That's something to keep in mind too. Obviously, most people paid more attention to the more obvious aspects of this fear across the curves. And that, of course, was interest rates, just bond yields, strict bond yields, easy, intuitive bond, well, they should be intuitive, not for economics. Lower bond yields signal nothing good, contrary to what most mainstream sources say about how lower yields equate to financial easing. Nothing could be further from the truth, especially when you appreciate the degree of hedging and fear in the other markets that we just talked about here. The 10-year treasury got down to 420 on Friday. It has since backed off. It's closer to 430 today, but you know, ebbs and flows. Would we, would we really be surprised if rates even continue to go a lot lower here? There's a landmine afoot. The five-year got down to 414 on Friday. It's back up 424. The two-year, 456 on Friday. Big, huge moves in the treasury market. And those were, those were corroborated and backed up and then some in their European cousins. German bond yields have gotten exceptionally low. Remember, the European Central Bank's Short-term money rate target, the MRO, right now is 450. And the two-year German shots, or is it Schatzi? I don't know. I think it's shots. The two-year German, 267, almost 200 basis points below 
the current MRO, the five-year got down to 226. And I believe rates are down a little bit today, though they're, they're like treasuries coming back up. And the 10-year German Bund, 235. Massive amounts of hedging, even some really obvious fear in the marketplace, especially on Friday. But for what? Well, oil prices say there's an economic element, but oil prices don't explain necessarily everything unless we conclude liquidity and money fears in it too. What is the mainstream saying about this big move in interest rates? Remember, this is a big move in interest rates that wasn't supposed to happen. Jay Powell, economists, the financial media all said, hey, the bond market's selling off in September. This must mean that the sell-off is gonna continue because uh, central bankers say higher for longer. Here's what Bloomberg said earlier today. A torrid bond market rally shows traders are convinced the Federal Reserve's rate, rate rising cycle is over. The debate now turns to when central bankers start cutting and by how much. At issue is whether the economy settles in for a soft landing or spirals into something worse. Even Bloomberg sees it. Both scenarios suggest rate cuts are coming possibly as soon as March. No, not quite. Current market expectations call for at least 125% basis points of easing next year, a trend that would seem to clear a path for lower yields and an extended rally. No. Well, the last part is true, a, 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 an extended rally and a clear path for lower yields. Why? It's not a soft landing. This degree of hedging, this degree of fear in the market supply, this big move across even cash bond markets, that's not a soft landing. Though we're gonna start hearing about the real rate excuse. That is essentially where central bankers are saying, we need to cut rates because disinflation or the level of inflation they calculate through CPIs and whatnot, those are going down. And if nominal rates stay the same, that means real rates are going up for nothing more than disinflation. And economists and policymakers and central banks make a big deal out of real rates. So if real rates are rising, independently of central bank policies, what central bankers are gonna say is, well, we need to cut rates just to keep real rates steady. Nominal rates have to go down with disinflation or lower consumer price numbers in order to keep real rates steady. That's an argument we're going to hear, but you don't get this level of panic hedging for the Federal Reserve or ECB gently gliding us into a soft landing by fine-tuning real rates. It's far more than that. And the answer to our question here comes to us from no, none other than former Federal, Federal Reserve Governor, then Chairman, now pundit, I guess, Nobel Laureate, consultant to central banks, Mr. Ben Bernanke. In November 2002, the Federal Reserve was actually afraid of deflation through the stock market, the dot-com bust that just kept on going. And by November 2002, the Fed thought, man, we should think about deflation. And Ben Bernanke said, don't worry about deflation. We've got this printing press, though. That didn't really work out in 2008, did it? But essentially he said, we got to be careful about deflation. Here's what he said. However, a deflationary recession may differ in one respect from quote unquote normal recessions in which the inflation rate is at least modestly positive. Deflation of sufficient magnitude may result in nominal interest rate declining to zero or very close to it. Essentially, what we're seeing the marketplace begin to price in a way we haven't seen since March and April. March and April was not soft landing territory. March and April was, hey, which is the next U.S. regional bank going to fail? March and April was, 
Did you see Credit Suisse? What really happened with that UBS takeover? What is it that Credit, the Swiss National Bank said about Credit Suisse? Yeah, they were insolvent. So there is more going on here than just a recession. The recession is definitely the background, and that's confirmed by oil and gasoline prices. We've got a lot more to it. So let's back up here. Deflationary recession, the type of which the Ben Bernanke was talking about, that, I mean, we saw that in 2008. That was obvious. The Fed was horrible at their job. And essentially, we got the deflation, and we got the deflationary recession, and it was beyond nasty, as I talked about in a recent video, the recent video on government debt. But we also got a deflationary recession to an extent in March 2020, where the deflation was short-circuited short to a substantial degree by the lockdowns. So essentially, deflationary recession where rates go down to zero, these are not good recessions to begin with. But where does the deflation part of it come from? And deflation is the interruption in the free flow of money and credit in the economy. We certainly got that, or at least a taste of it, in March and April. So it appears as if the marketplace is concerned about recession number one, but the high degree of potential for deflation to go along with it. And it also seems to be exhibiting a heavy European flavor to it, hmm. which raises a couple of potential issues as well. Now, while we can't know for sure, you have to wonder the European aspect of it, is the market concerned about another energy crisis? Europe survived last year in a mild winter, this year maybe not so good. And with OPEC and oil prices, OPEC determined to make oil prices an issue here, you can understand why there's some genuine fear about Europe. But I think it's broader than that. I think it's the deflationary recession, the market has been absolutely certain or as near certain as possibly can, as, as, possible, as humanly possible here, that was always going to be the outcome, the likeliest outcome. It got delayed in the middle part of the year for the disinflationary rebound, but here we are with similar types of behavior, similar levels, if not worse levels, and some key financial indications to March in April of this year. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean bank failures. We can have a liquidity crisis without a banking crisis. And that's, as Josh points out, a good topic for a future video. But the markets are afraid of something happening that pushes rates down very quickly. That's not a soft landing. That's not the Fed or ECB fine tuning in real rates. It's deflationary recession risk. It never went away. It was that first deflationary recession in 2008 that gave us the massive amounts of government debt. I just did a, new, a video on that. That's the one linked below me. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. A huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers and Eurodollar University members. Until next time, take care.